Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me encourage you, even though we are doing CBC Live online, to make sure that you have your Bibles. You'll want to be marking your Bibles. You'll want to be reading your Bibles because it's all about the seed, which is the Word of God that makes a difference in our lives. It is the seed, which is the Word of God that brings forth fruit from our lives. It is the seed that impacts our lives and that the Holy Spirit uses us to challenge and, and change us as he strives to conform us to the character of Jesus Christ. I love the church. I love the church because it's a household. It's a family. And it brings us together as part of each other's lives in a very special way. Sometimes here at Calvary, we talk about growing a great family at Calvary. And that which has brought us together is all about Calvary. But I love the church because it is this household of faith. It's a place where we care and share for each other. It's a place where we laugh and cry with each other where we celebrate those special milestones, those things that take place within a family that we do within the body of Christ. One of the wonderful things about vocational ministry is that we have family together. Connie and I have never had the privilege of living close to our immediate families. We've never been within really close proximity or, or driving distance to be able to go home and visit mom and dad or, or, or siblings. And so what we've had is our church families. And each one of those has adopted us and brought us in. I can't tell you the number of grandpas and grandmas that my kids have had. The numbers of uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews, part of, part of the family. And we have celebrated milestones in our lives as part of our family. And that really is no small thing to have one another come around with each other and to, to share in each other's lives. I love the church because it's a household of faith. It's a household of God. It's the family of God. Now, if you look into the New Testament, you discover a couple of words that are used to describe this relationship. The first word is a word that is used in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's the word for family. It's the only place where the English word family is translated in the New Testament. And it has the idea of fatherhood, parenthood, descendants from a family. And in that passage of Scripture, it talks about the whole world being part of the family of God, descendants from God, as God created man and woman way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. The other word that is translated family has the idea of household, people or children of the house. 
And it has to do with that wonderful relationship that was in, within family and the responsibility that we have as family members together within that household relationship. It's a word that reminds us that we are together in, in Christ. Now there are three passages of Scripture, only three passages of Scripture, that use that word. One is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, one is found in Ephesians chapter 2, and one is found in Galatians chapter 6. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there's an interesting verse. And it has to do with a relationship and a responsibility within the family. It has specifically to do with, with caring for widows, those who have struggled in their lives. And Paul writes to Timothy this way, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, that's the word, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, specifically, this has to do with, with caring for widows within that culture because they had no other means of support. And so they had to depend upon family to build into their lives and to minister to them and to share in a, in a very special way. I think a broader application of that is that we must be careful that we don't leave any of the family behind. And especially during these COVID-19 times, it, it's easy to, to leave some of the family behind that really is struggling in their spiritual lives. I want you to know that at this point in time, one of my greatest concerns is that there are family members, part of our household, part of our church that are struggling spiritually. Now, I know what it is to be isolated. I know what it is to be without support. I know what it is to, to wonder how we're going to have our needs met. And many times we depend upon family to do that. And we as a local assembly of believers have to figure out how we can minister to family. Because the text says specifically concerning those who neglect their widows. They've denied the faith. And they're worse than unbelievers. You and I have a responsibility to reach out to those that are troubled. To reach out to those that are hurting. To reach out to those who have lost something that is very dear to themselves. Why? Because they're part of the intimacy in our lives, their family, they're part of the household. And it's very important that we fulfill our responsibility to those who are part of our church family. The text that we are going to primarily look at this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2. And it relates to the effects of the gospel in our lives. How does the gospel affect us as family? The key verse that we're going to look at is verse 19, which says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One of my favorite choruses is this, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this sod. I'm so glad 
I'm a part of the family of God. Now I'm going to ask that the Carter family read this passage of Scripture for us, and they're going to start with verse 19 and read through verse 21. You follow along in your copy of the Scriptures, please. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. The effects of the gospel. We are reminded what happens to us as we share together as part of the family. Now, before we work into that text, I think it's important for us to be reminded of the reality of becoming a child of God. You see, not everybody talking about the family is part of the family. Not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven is really going to heaven. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, Nicodemus, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know there's two ways to get in the family. You're either born into the family or you're adopted into the family. Those are the two ways that you can really be part of the family. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Now, what does that mean? In John chapter 1, we read these words. But as many as receive Christ, to them are given the privilege to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. The only way to be born again into the family is to trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. To have a new birth. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's, he's been born again. You see, the reality of everyone on planet earth, everyone since Adam and Eve throughout all history, is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's not how bad you are. It's how good you're not. Because none of us meets God's standard. And we may fall a little short and we may fall a whole lot short. But we must recognize that if we're going to be part of the family, we must understand that we can't get in by ourselves. God has to do something. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what God did. The very familiar verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reality is, physical birth, citizenship in any culture, does not gain admittance to the family of God. You must trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You must be born again into the family of God. 
Romans chapter 8 tells us that it is the spirit that works with our spirit and adopts us into the family. I said there were two ways to be part of the family. You can either be born again or you can be adopted. And the truth is that both of those ways are accomplished by God in our lives. As we trust Christ as personal Savior, we are born again. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Born again into the family of God. And the truth is that God sends his spirit to call us, to adopt us to allow us to be part of the family. There are many in our world, and especially in our country, that are concerned about the orphans, those that get left out. And you are probably aware that if you were to try to have a foreign adoption, there would be quite a price to pay. You could pay up to $35,000 depending upon the culture in which you were trying to adopt somebody. May I remind you that the price for our adoption was greater than that because the Bible says that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold but we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great, it's his, thy great salvation, so rich and so free. The reality of being part of God's family comes through the, the good news, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Are you in Ephesians chapter 2? Because I want to go there and I want to talk a little bit about the results of being part of, of God's family. All right, the reality is we must be born again. We must be adopted into the family. We must become one of God's children. But what does that now mean in our lives? What are the results of that taking place? Well, in verse 19, Paul says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family, the household of God. Paul tells us that we become members, citizens of the household. But he begins by saying we're no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens. Now I want to give you just a little bit of background to the book of Ephesians. In Acts chapter 19 you find Paul's ministry to the believers at Ephesus. It's during his third missionary journey. And they received the word of God and 
because of that reception, they did what they knew to do and they were baptized under John's baptism. Paul comes in and finds this group of believers and they tell him that they were baptized under John's baptism. And Paul says, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know what that is. In Acts chapter 19, for the third time in the book of Acts, we find the penetration of the Holy Spirit into the lives of the believers. And to validate that penetration, they speak in tongues, known languages, glossema. And that validates what God has done in their lives. Paul spends two years teaching them and sharing with them. Perhaps this was his longest ministry in any of the churches that he shared with. We now fast forward 10 years. Paul is under house arrest in, in Rome. You can read about that in Acts chapter 28. And he's writing back to this group of believers, these, these Jews and these Gentiles who are banded together under the authority of Jesus Christ in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he says to them, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. But you're part of the family. You're brought together in Christ. Now, I think it's important that we remember where we came from. If you'll jump up to verse 11, Paul says to the believers, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called uncircumcised. But now you're called circumcised, which is, not, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember, verse 12, that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of, of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. Because something has changed in your lives, and that is the gospel. We are going through somewhat of a transformation in our country. And in many ways, we are trying to understand some of the differences that seem to divide us. Those kinds of differences are not new to our culture. Those kinds of challenges are, are not new to the, to the 21st century. You see, in, in Paul's time, Jews and Gentiles were, were divided. In fact, Jews talked about Gentiles being dogs, un, uncircumcised, outsiders, strangers, and were not allowed to be part of the worship of the true God. Their argument was that the, the Gentiles knew nothing about the true God and that God had given himself exclusively to Israel, to the Jews. In fact, if a Jewish son or daughter married a, a Gentile, 
the Jewish family didn't have a wedding, they had a funeral. Because the son or daughter who married outside the faith was now considered to not exist. Even in the temple, there was a four and a half foot wall that ran through the courtyard of the temple and Gentiles were on one side and, and Jews were, were on another. A separation that took place. In the temple there were notices that were published in Greek and in Latin that said any Gentile who goes beyond this point will be executed. It was that severe. Now Paul in bringing these Jews and Gentiles together living in community in Ephesus baptized by the Holy Spirit, validated by speaking in tongues, says, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer exiles. You're no longer excluded from the family. But now your fellow citizens, underline that in your Bibles, will you please? Now you have a new nationality. Now you have a new family. Now you have a new relationship with a sovereign, holy God. Now you can participate in, in wonder together in Christ. He is reversing being a stranger or an alien and he is reminding them they are part of, of the family. We in our country have something that is called nationalized citizenship. Aliens, foreigners, come into our country, and there is a path by which they can become a citizen of these United States. There is a fee that must be paid, a, basically a processing fee that they have to come up with. There is a test that they must pass a civics test so that they understand the, the form of government that, that we have in this great country of ours. And then they have to take an oath of allegiance, an oath where they pledge to be responsible citizens under the Constitution of the United States of America. And they become citizens of this great those of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior aren't strangers, aren't aliens, because the price has been paid for us. The test was completed at Calvary, and when we believed on the name of the Lord and were saved and born again in the family of God, we took an oath. And we said that we were going to be part of the family. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things 
to himself. And John the Revelator reminds us in John chapter 5 that those who were ransomed by the blood are from every tribe and language and people and nation because we've been become part of the family, the kingdom of God. You see, we're no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens. We're fellow citizens with the saints. Together, as blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, we're with the saints. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great to be part of the family? Isn't it great to get the saints together and share? Isn't it great to be part of the household of God? But not only... Are you fellow citizens with the saints? You're members. Look at the text. Members of the household of God. Yes, citizens, but then that takes us to membership because there is no hierarchy. There are no classes within the family. There is nothing that would exclude us. From the wonder of what God is, is doing in our lives. Full rights as children of the house, people belonging to the family, persons who are part of God's family. Full fellowship, full companionship, full connectedness in Christ. And the result of that is what has been lived out through the gospel. Paul identifies a number of things that have taken place. Jump up to verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's part of the gospel. That's part of full citizenship as part of being members of the family of God. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Isn't it great to know that we can not only have peace with God, but that we can have the peace of God? Ephesians says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding. How do you describe it? We'll keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, then he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross. We are reconciled, brought together in one body, together in Christ as a result of the gospel. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit. Isn't it great to have access to God through the spirit? A benefit of the gospel working in our lives. And in verse 22, we are being built up together. Circle that word, will you? Together. Members of the family, members of the household, together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. I love the church. 
because the church is a household, the church is a family, the church is a dynamic like no other that brings us together because of the gospel in our lives. Now that does bring to us some responsibilities. Turn back just a couple of pages in your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 6. This is the third time that the word household is used in the New Testament. In verse 10 in Galatians chapter 6 simply says, So then, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of, of faith. We are to live out the gospel, not only in a lost and dying world, but we are to live out the gospel among each other. And the scripture tells us that we are to do good to all people, and especially to those who are part of the family. When was the last time you connected in love to somebody who is part of this family? And in these difficult days, we must work hard at this. Because we don't want to leave anybody in the family behind because they're family. They're part of the household. You see, we must learn to live out household responsibilities in love. In John chapter 13, we have Jesus in the upper room. It's the Last Supper, if you will. It is there that he washed the disciples' feet. It was there that he identified that one would go out and betray him. And it's also in that passage of Scripture where Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you're part of the family if you have love one for another. Let me very quickly identify four ways that we can live out this love as part of God's family. First of all, we need to look for opportunities to invest in people's lives. Isn't that what Paul said here? He said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household, you need to look for opportunities. You need to be aware of what's going on around you. And be part of each other's lives. Number two, we need to operate, we need to mend the lives of those who are struggling May I have you look at verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6? There Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore there has the idea of mending, bringing it back together, setting a broken bone, helping someone get through a time of, of brokenness in, in their lives. It's been interesting for me to be able to observe God's work during these COVID-19 times. And there are a number of illustrations which I could give to you about 
how God manifested himself in, in seemingly hopeless situations. One of our families was, was struggling. Struggling in their relationship with, with each other. A, a, a relatively new relationship. And as Connie and I went and, and shared personally in their lives, their testimony was that people had reached out to them. Many of you had contacted them and encouraged them and even challenged them. And I share with you today that their lives were mended by the wonder of God working for the glory of God. I had a counseling session yesterday with them and they're just excited about what God is doing. But that took some mending. That took some restoring. That took some bringing back together in a way that God intended it. We need to volunteer. Here I am, Lord, send me. Look with me at verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know that's not an easy thing to do. Last Tuesday evening, we met with our deacons and trustees. And during our, our deacons meeting, one of our men, with, with tears in his eyes, shared that he wanted to get involved in people's lives, but it was difficult, and he had to, had to take the next step and, and do that because he recognized the responsibility that that added to his life. I appreciated his tenderness, his sensitivity, his challenge to all of us who were in that room at that time. And I don't want you to, to take this lightly because volunteering gives to you a great responsibility, gives to me a great responsibility to take the time, energy, and in some cases, initiative to bear one another's burdens. And lastly, may I encourage you to keep on keeping on. Keep engaged. Look with me at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I tell you what, these are tiring days. These are wearying days. These are days that take a lot out of you, take a lot out of me. And, and try just to maintain some kind of, of level of investment and involvement in, in people's lives is, is a real challenge. And, and I know it's a challenge for me, and, and I know it's a challenge for you. But let me encourage you. Stay engaged. Keep on keeping on, because Paul says, the harvest is coming. In due season, at some point in time, you'll see that it's all worthwhile.
Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As a vocational pastor, I'm not going to become rich. But you know what? The retirement benefits are out of this world. And once I get to glory, I'll be able to look back and say it will be worth it all. It was worth it all because now I get to see Jesus. I love the church. It's God's institution to do his work because of the gospel which has penetrated our lives in this culture. I love the church because it's family, because it's household, because it brings us together not like we once were as strangers and aliens, but it brings us together as fellow citizens with the saints, as members of the household of God with the responsibility to loving one another.